1: Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown, guys. It's game day. That means we get a podcast here that's not the usual, though. We have Behind Enemy Lines, where if you're interested in learning all about the Jets, we have a great guest, Scott Mason, who works uh, for the podcast Play Like a Jet. We've had him on before, does a great job. And I think he gives some really good perspective on where their franchise is, who's going to play tonight, what it's going to look like for them, and then some surrounding talk about... Uh, some big decisions they have looming. So I really wanted to put this out. I know we put out mailbag yesterday, late yesterday into this morning, so there's two podcasts available for you. Check that one out as well. Uh, Otherwise, the only thing worth keeping an eye on is this morning, we hear that Amari Cooper is dealing with a heel that is going to be game time in his decision to play. So I don't know what that ultimately looks like. I'll be up there at the game watching alongside a lot of you. I hope to see you up there And we'll hopefully see Amari Cooper doing what he normally does, and that is playing in this game. So let's get over to our time with Scott. Enjoy this podcast, and we will catch you in the post-game show, uh, the instant reaction show that I'll do with Andrew Spade. Maybe from the car. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how we get this one recorded, but we'll have something up in the late hours of Thursday night. Huge game. Let's get over to our guest, Scott Mason, right now. All right, short week, but we uh, we still get some time preparing for... The opponent here behind enemy lines, we're going to welcome in Scott. What's up, buddy? Thanks for joining us.
2: Hey, Jake, what's up, man? Always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, This is going to be a fascinating game. I don't think it's what we expected when this game was announced on the schedule. We thought it was going to be Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, the Jets, and the Browns primetime fighting for the playoff seed. And now it's Joe Flacco and Trevor Simeon. It's like the ghosts of Christmas past.
1: <laughs> That's a good way to put it, man. Because when you think about the last time these two teams got together, I know we talked before that game. You know, we don't get a chance to talk after, but it was one of the most miraculous comebacks the NFL has seen. And the Browns have a knack for doing that sort of thing. They've avoided it this year. But, you know, as we all know, the leader of that comeback was Joe Flacco. Now, <laughs> a full year later, you know, we're, we're sitting here talking as Joe Flacco is the quarterback of the Browns. I don't think you could have given odds long enough. Somebody would have taken, said, you know, a year ago, Joe Flacco will be leading the Browns when they play the Jets at the end of the year. And obviously, it's been a busy year for both sides. These injuries have been crippling. And kind of where I want to start, Scott, is like a state of things. I know, I know things with the Jets organization, there's been, uh, and I could be wrong here. You tell me if I'm wrong, but. Uh, there was a vote of confidence that Sala would be back, but I, I could be wrong on that. Like just kind of give me the vibe around. It's a tough year. I mean, you lose the Browns are sort of dealing with a similar thing. Obviously Aaron Rodgers is beginning of the season changes the scope of the season. Um, and it's hard to overcome that. You know, the Browns have been lucky to overcome it on their end, but it's hard to overcome. So it's been a bit of a ride here, but yeah, fill us in on sort of where things are 16 weeks into the season and, sort of the state of what Browns fans can expect the Jets to to feel like and look like as they come into Cleveland, uh, the, you know, tomorrow? Uh, so I guess the best way to put it is
2: uh, everything that can go wrong has gone wrong for the Jets this year. I mean, the Aaron Rodgers thing was just a harbinger of things to come. He got hurt, obviously, four snaps into the season, which everybody saw on national television. He's been out the entire year. He was trying to come back. Before anybody's ever done it, I always said that he was never going to play. I admired the fact that he was trying, but it made no sense, especially with the Jets not being realistically in playoff contention by the time he would have come back. And then by the time he would have literally come back, they were mathematically eliminated anyway. It's good that he's been around the team. He's been practicing and all that. But this was a season that had more hype around it, really, than anything in the last Probably 10 years, I would say. The last time the Jets had this kind of hype was the the year that they went to the AFC Championship game the second time, and then it's all snowballed from there. They had that one good year with Fitzpatrick, but it wasn't like they had this kind of hype. There were people talking about a possible Super Bowl contention this year that they might be in the mix. And then Rodgers goes down. The offensive line has been in shambles all year, just one injury after the next, and the guys that have played have been bad. It's just been an absolute mess. Alan Lazard, who was brought in here because of Rodgers, as we all know, who was expected to be the number two wide receiver, I thought that he'd be okay. I thought people were expecting too much out of him. But once Rodgers went down, he got exposed for being really not very good at all. I mean, beyond just not being a number two, I mean, he's been benched for an undrafted rookie in Xavier Gibson. So the entire offense has been an absolute disaster randall cobb was getting wide receiver three snaps for much of the season and now he's not playing thankfully but that was a mess he was the least efficient wide receiver in 16 years according to espn analytics when you analyze routes per run zach wilson came in and i thought he was better than a lot of people gave him credit for but he was still nothing more than like an okay backup at best Which is not what you want from the number two overall pick. But considering the fact, Jake, that the proclamation before the season was that he wasn't going to play, he was going to redshirt, he was going to sit behind Rodgers and learn, it still makes no sense to me that they threw him back out there. Why wouldn't you stick to the plan, go get a veteran, let him be the backup? Ultimately, I'm not saying that would have made a difference this year because the old line was so bad and the offense turned out to be so much worse than we thought that I don't think that a a backup who was even a solid backup was going to be enough to overcome everything. Nathaniel Hackett's been an absolute disaster too. I should throw that in there. That's a key part of this. He got exposed very badly once Rogers wasn't there either. I'm glad he can quote lines from the movie airplane, but you know, that doesn't really help you win football games. So I think Wilson, what I think this did was it sped up the timeline on Wilson. Any hope that you had of him maybe sticking around, and learning under Rodgers and becoming the guy down the line, as faint as that hope was, that's gone now. They're going to look to move him in the offseason. As you alluded to, Salah, Douglas, Hackett, they'll all be back next year. The owner, Woody Johnson, came out this past week and and basically guaranteed that, which is funny because then the Jets went on to almost blow a 27-7 to lead at home to one of the worst teams in the league in Washington that has a coach who's a dead man walking. So... I don't even know where to begin with how much of a disaster this season has been, but that's the best Reader's Digest version I could
1: give you. Yeah, that's well put. There's a lot to to pick apart there. What, what I do notice, and you tell me if I'm wrong here, is there's more of a youth movement later in the season. You talked about Alan Lazard. You talked about Randall Cobb. They obviously made a splash play at the beginning of the season, going out and signing Dalvin Cook, but... It feels like between Jason Brownlee and Xavier Gibson and Brees Hall, they're playing the young guys at these spots, obviously, to try to see what's there for the future. The the question I would have that stems off of that is, like, do you think that that's going to carry into the future? Because Aaron plans to come back. He plans to play. Do you think that, like, Lazard and Cobb are hanging around in order to, to get with Aaron again? Or do you think they're just, hey, Aaron, man, we're going on these young guys to see what we have here and figure this out?
2: Well, my expectation, and I could be wrong, but I assume that Randall Cobb is going to voluntar- voluntarily retire at the end of the season. Lazard, unfortunately, the Jets are stuck with because it's a $19 million dead cap hit to get rid of him and $11 million to keep him. So I don't need to tell you that when it's $8 million cheaper to keep a guy than to cut him, he's not going anywhere. So they're stuck with him at an 11 or $12 yeah. million cap hit next year. The only hope there, Jake, is that when Rodgers comes back, the chemistry those two have helps rehabilitate Lazard a little bit. As far as the younger guys, look, Brees Hall, everybody knows, is going to be a centerpiece of this team. That's going to be the case when Rodgers comes back too. And they they did play Brownlee a little bit. He got a touchdown. Xavier Gibson's been playing a little bit. Israel Banacanda, who is a fifth-round pick running back out of Pitt, he took all the carries that had previously been given to Dalvin Cook. That's a positive thing. A lot of us warned about Dalvin Cook. I I had Arif Hassan, who covers the NFL now for Substack, but for years was a beat reporter for the Vikings and obviously has a vested interest in the Vikings. And we went over Dalvin Cook in every way imaginable. And the conclusion we drew is that he just wasn't the same guy anymore, despite the box score stats. There were a lot of advanced metrics in film that showed that he wasn't the same guy anymore. And Jake, you're a film guy, you know, you can't just look at box score stats. And so we we said this guy, you know, if you're lucky, maybe he gives you a Damian Tomlinson did in 2010, which is a couple of good games before he runs out of gas. And then hopefully that's enough cushion for Brees Hall. Didn't quite work out that way. I think now you are seeing some of these guys like Brownlee, Abanacanda, guys that took them way too long to play and they're trying to see what these guys' role could be for next year. I assume Abana Kanda will be the second running back behind Brees Hall next year. Brownlee will be fighting for a roster spot. Gibson will be here as a kick returner, and then we'll see if he earns wide receiver reps. I do expect the Jets to go big game hunting a wide receiver, whether they're able to actually land one of these names. Uh, Devontae Adams in a trade, I'm not convinced that the Raiders are going to trade him to begin with. He'd be an enormous cap hit, but whatever. I'm sure they'll try because he's Roger's guy. Mike Evans is slated to be available. We'll see what happens there. Maybe Calvin Ridley if he shakes loose. But I think the Jets have to realize, and this is the big takeaway from this year, Jake. You heard a lot of people saying the Jets were just a good quarterback away from making a Super Bowl run. And I think what this season showed you is they're significantly further away from that. Even when the healthy offensive line even when the starting offensive line were healthy and playing those guys have been bad and, and numerous uh, guys need to be brought in here they're going to need two new tackles next year they're going to need a major insurance policy guard because Tomlinson's been brutal and Elijah Tucker's now missed 22 out of 34 games and the only weapon you can really rely on in the passing game Tyler Conklin's been okay but the only one who's been a plus receiving weapon is Garrett Wilson. So they've got to go out and get at least one serious upgrade in the passing game, probably two. And they've got to replace the three offensive linemen realistically. They've got to get three starting caliber offensive linemen this offseason. And as you know, though, neither one of those tests is going to be easy. It's not going to be a full teardown and rebuild. But what this season showed you is that even with Rodgers, this team wasn't a Super Bowl team. And the danger here, Jake, is coming off a Achilles tear after uh, what just happened and being 41 years old. If Aaron Rodgers isn't still Aaron Rodgers, if he's just a good but not great quarterback, the, the plan's going to have a lot of problems working because you're looking at a situation where they were counting on Rodgers to elevate everything around them. If he's not that guy anymore and he's just good, not great, let's say he's the 12th best quarterback instead of, like, a top five quarterback, all of a sudden he needs everything around him needs to be a lot better than they originally anticipated. So a lot of challenges ahead. And I will say, you know, it's a lot that the Browns have the opportunity to take advantage of, although that jet defense has been tough, but (laughs) they got sliced and diced by a bad Washington team and Jacoby Brissett. So who knows what Joe Flacco can do?
1: well, yeah. Let's let's get to the defense in a second before we close offensively. Um, you know, we kind of talked about who's going to be in there, and you've talked uh, really nicely here about how they've shifted away from certain people. Um, you know, talking Trevor Simeon because that's who we're going to see in this one. Has he been a better version of what Zach Wilson has put on the field? I know Zach's been up and down, but like I'm kind of looking at. I know Zach is out, but. Is there a hopelessness with Trevor Simeon that maybe Tim Boyle was uh, providing You know, in some of those certain situations? Or has Trevor been uh, a fine for you guys when you've seen him? Has he done some nice things?
2: I think Simeon's better than Boyle, but that's not really saying a lot. I mean, Boyle honestly doesn't belong on an NFL roster. Simeon, I guess you could make the case that maybe he's a rosterable quarterback, but it's tough The truth is the Jets aren't doing anything – they're not throwing downfield. I mean they weren't doing it with Zach Wilson either, which was bizarre because that's actually a strength of his. But Trevor Simeon is basically just doing the I'm a game manager routine. The problem is he's been – the first half this week against Washington, you heard a lot of people say, well – Where was this guy the whole year? He should have been elevated over Boyle at least and been the primary backup. And I suppose you could make that case. But a lot of what was going on early in the game was just Washington was handing the Jets the ball in the easiest of circumstances. And the Jets were able to make a few easy plays. But as the game wore on, Simeon threw two bad interceptions and there were at least six passes that probably could have been picked off and we're talking about against a really bad Washington defense. So there's nothing to, to for anybody to worry about with Simeon. If I'm the Browns defense, I'm, I'm licking my chops right now. I'll say this too. Miles Garrett, who is just on another galaxy. We remember what happened, right, Jake, the last time Miles Garrett faced Trevor Simeon. And Trevor Simeon was the quarterback of the Jets, by the way. And it was on national TV. Let's throw that in there. Uh, Trevor Simeon had his season ended by Miles Garrett, who almost ripped his head off. So <laughs> I, I think with this Jet offensive line, which gave up a, a lot of pressures, no sacks, but a ton of pressures this past week and was very bad again, and with like their 20th combination of the season or something like that, you're, uh, look, I don't think the Browns have anything to fear from Simeon. He's going to throw short, he's going to try to get the ball out quickly. He's going to try and get the ball in the hands of his two best guys, Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson. That's what happened this past week. Garrett Wilson, I believe, had eight catches or something like that. And Brees Hall had almost 100 yards receiving. So that's what you're looking at. And it look, realistically, the Jets don't have anybody else, so it makes sense. Get the ball in the hands of your two best guys. From the Browns, basically what I'm doing is I'm making sure that I zero in on Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson and force Trevor Simeon to try and do something with other guys, and we'll see. But I think if you can find a way to zero in on those two and make sure that they have limited impact, the Browns, as good as their defense is, shouldn't have a big problem.
1: Yeah, they'll they'll certainly encourage the quick throw stuff. They love to do that. They they, they really rally to the football pretty well. Um, Brees all stuff does worry me. The Browns in between the tackles got you know, a couple gash plays happened last week with. Houston, So I'm, I'm sure that they're looking at things about how they can manipulate the Browns inside the tackle box. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that, especially because I think Brees Hall a special football player. And I think Garrett Wilson, when he gets help around him, obviously a special player, had a great performance in Cleveland last year in that comeback. So I'm sure they're going to be keyed in on him. But, but how aggressive the Browns are uh, will be interesting sort of against these quarterbacks that they don't respect. They played a lot of zone because they just are daring these guys to throw and they know their front four can make such an impact without bringing extra bodies. Uh, That's sort of a little bit of the plan, I think, whereas against some of the teams that have a lot more weapons, they'll get a little bit more man heavy and try to force the issue. So we we'll see the the crowd should be pretty raucous. They should make it pretty, pretty difficult in the jets offense. But on the flip side is, is totally the antithesis of what we're talking about. It's kind of ironic you know, the Browns are putting up points, they're playing better with Joe Flacco, but they're still a limited offense with weaknesses at tackle, fourth, fifth tackle out on the field, right? Um, Obviously, no, Nick Chubb has altered a lot of their run game efficiency throughout this year. It's gotten actually ironically worse than it's ever been, Scott, so they're not running the football very well, but Joe is throwing it well, and they're finding some success in that regard, and I, I know that you're talking about a teardown of the offense, but Based on what we've seen defensively, they're in the right place to step on the football field next year with New York and and make an immediate impact and be a part of a winning turnaround. So talk about the defense and just a little bit of whoever you think is going to be impactful for Browns fans to really keep their eye on in this one, because there's talent all over that group.
2: It's funny you said the Browns have had trouble running the ball, because really that's been the Jets' biggest weakness this year has been against the run. They've done very well against the pass, and everybody kind of knows why. Sauce Gardner, if he's not the best corner in the league, he's right in the discussion. It's probably him Sertan are right in there. Guys like Shabarius Ward. I mean, there you, you could name a couple of guys, but I would argue that Sauce is as good as anybody in the league right now. I think he's allowed just over 100 yards over the last like 15 weeks, which is just bonkers. The only negative with him is that he has dropped a couple of potential interceptions, but I'll always take the guy who's a blanket cover guy over the feast or famine interception guy any day. Give me Darrell Revis, for example, over somebody like, uh, you know, Asante Samuel, who used to get burned quite a bit, but would get a lot more turnovers. Uh, As far as the rest of the the defense, DJ Reed has generally been very good. He had a tough time with Jalen Waddell, uh, and, and I think he may have. This is the one thing I'll say. Amari Cooper last year actually did very well against the Jets, and he presents a tough matchup for both Jets cornerbacks. He could be an Achilles heel for them, and we saw what Joe Flacco did with Cooper this past week. So it, it'll be interesting. I expect them to test DJ Reed, especially if I was the Browns. If I'm, uh, if, if I were um, uh, Kevin Stefanski, I would line Amari Cooper up against DJ Reed and I would try to exploit that DJ Reed's a really good corner but I think one-on-one Cooper could get the better of him and the way the Jets work is the same way Seattle used to use Richard Sherman Sauce has his side of the field and that's it so if you want to avoid him and that's what the Dolphins did they avoided him with Waddle by just lining him up on the other side and the Jets never adjusted and they 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 don't do it they won't change it up so it'll be interesting to see that and and what happens. I'm curious to see if Elijah Moore tries to get revenge on his old team too. But, but the, the past defense uh, has been, you know, look, what you want to do is you want to try and, you know, throw passes to running backs and tight ends, avoid those cornerbacks is really the the best way to do it. And if the Browns could find a way to open up some running lanes, I would try to gash the jets. It's been done by a lot of teams this year. That's been a, a a way to to be successful, but testing those corners in general has been the tougher way. Like I said, I would go at DJ Reed before I would go at Sauce, but that's not to take anything away from DJ Reed. I think DJ Reed is a really really good corner, borderline Pro Bowler. But if I'm going at one person, it would be him. And then I would try to um you know pick apart the middle of the field and 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 use the running backs and screens and things like that. Um, maybe make use of David Njoku in the tight end game. Uh, and and, And that's probably what I would do if I were the Browns. I would try to go away from the Jets' biggest strength and go towards their biggest weakness if
0: I could. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co. But I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon, using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Yeah, so a couple names I want to hit on. Quincy Williams and Quinnen, those guys are playing pretty special football. And how are the Young Edge guys, Jermaine Johnson, well, McDonald, what have those young investments turned into? Yeah, the pass
2: rush has been pretty good. I mean, Quinn and Williams. It's funny he doesn't have the big sack numbers, but he's obviously gotten a ton of pressures, and he's double and triple teamed on every play. So he's opening things up for a lot of other guys. Jermaine Johnson has done pretty well this year. It's been a breakout year for him. Uh, he's. It's not out of the realm of possibility that he could get to double digit sacks. I think he's got seven with two day, games to go. He'd be the first Jets edge rusher to do it in about a decade. I believe the last guy to do it was Calvin Pace. That was 2013, I think. So it's crazy the Jets haven't had an edge rusher that had double-digit sacks in such a long long time. But he's played really well against the run as well. Bryce Huff has had a breakout season, too. He'd always been one of those guys that was a really strong situational pass rusher, but he was used very judiciously, sparingly. This year they've used him a ton, and the more they've used him, the better he's looked. He's going to cash in and get a big contract this offseason, whether or not it's going to be with the Jets or somebody else. I don't know. Uh, Will McDonald has looked good in with the reps that he's gotten, but they've used him very sparingly. They did the same thing with Jermaine Johnson last year. And if you look at Will McDonald's efficiency rates, his pressure rate is very high. They've just not used him a ton. They've used him a little bit more. Per, by the week, as time has gone on, they've used him more and more. I think he's a guy that's shown you, though, that he has that kind of potential to be a stud next to Jermaine Johnson. It's just, you know, it's going to take some more reps. And Quincy Williams and CJ Mosley have both played really good football this year. Quincy Williams has been playing at a Pro Bowl level. I'll be honest with you, Jake, when the Jets re signed him, I didn't really understand the fascination. He's a guy that consistently would over pursue. His instincts wouldn't be good. He'd take weird angles. And I just thought that, yeah, he would have some highlight real plays, but overall just maddeningly inconsistent. This year he's played excellent football. He's been one of the best inside linebackers in, in the game. So that's a guy that if you're a Jets fan and you look at what this coaching staff has done, if you're disappointed, and I think it's tough not to be considering the results, you look at the defensive side of the ball. You look at what Bryce Huff has turned into with this coaching staff. You look at Quincy Williams, another guy who has developed into a really, really strong football player. You look at the evolution of a guy like John Franklin Myers, who's turned into a really good hybrid, who can play the edge and can play inside. Uh, we talk about uh, you know a couple of other guys on the defense, like Tony Adams, who's by no means a great player, but who is an undrafted free agent and has turned into a, at least marginally decent starting safety, which is all you can ask for with a guy that wasn't even drafted. And you, you look at it and you say, okay, well, they've done a bad job on the offensive side of the ball, but they've developed some really good defensive players. Let's not forget DJ Reed who came here from Seattle, was a very good player in Seattle, has blossomed into an even better player here. And the Jets clearly saw something in him and got him at a bargain. I think it was three years, $33 million, which for a corner – who's playing at his level, is is a fantastic value. So I would say that Quincy Williams, Quentin Williams, those guys are the tip of the iceberg. A lot of really nice players on this Jets defense. They can keep building it out, but I think Jeff Ulbrich and Robert Sal have done a really good job. And I would say the Browns are one of the few teams in the league that have a claim to having a better defense than the Jets. There's not a lot of teams that can say that.
1: Let's close with this. Good stuff on the defense there, obviously. There's so many talented pieces. It worries me like crazy. Uh, The Browns just have a propensity, even though they had a good week last week, to just hand the football over too often. One of the worst teams in giveaways this year, and I'm sure the Jets are chomping at the bit, pretty hungry to get a couple on national TV. Like This is a game that obviously means immensely more to the Browns than the Jets, and, and I know their season has kind of concluded in terms of playoff probability and whatnot, but what's your... What's your vibe on how much they care? Obviously last week you get a little scared at the end of that game, but like, is there a lot of fight left in this group? You think that they're going to come in really hungry? Is it something that you see where it's like, man, we can't, you know, these are the types of games that we just two weeks left in the year. We're probably ready to pack it in and get rid of the off season. I know you got a vote of confidence on the coach, but you know what I'm saying? These late game, late season games can be sort of weird for who wants to be there and participating. And, it doesn't necessarily favor the jets, so I'm looking for kind of like Scott your vibe on the the activity interest level, the amp that they'll have to to feel up for this game, and then kind of your your opinion too on just sort of as a fan are you are you excited about the idea of like losing this game because the draft pick will get better? I know that sounds weird, but at this point I'm you know Cleveland fans have been used to it over the years you're always. Kind of keyed in on getting a better pick, so I'm curious about that as well.
2: You know, it's crazy, Jake. So there's a civil war with Jets fans right now. It, you know, the whole tank versus no tank thing. And what I keep telling people is, nobody expects the players to lose on purpose. Everybody expects the players to to play hard. They don't care about draft position. We're talking about what a fan would want or what a fan should want. And look, I don't tell anybody how to be a fan. You root for what you want. If you want to root for a win, root for a win. If you think it's better to root for a loss, root for a loss. Whatever it is you makes you happy. But I will say that if the Jets had just lost to Washington this past week, they would be sitting at number four in the draft. And with the Patriots having beaten the Broncos and the Jets facing the Patriots the last week of the season, they could have been in position to move up to three, which probably puts them in contention for one of those quarterbacks, probably Drake May. Because the information I've heard is that it looks like the Bears will either take Caleb Williams, number one, or trade that pick to somebody who will. And then at number two, Arizona loves Marvin Harrison Jr. They're not going to trade down and miss out on him. So that means May would be there, which means the Jets could have leveraged that pick for a huge haul, something along the lines of what the uh, the Philadelphia Eagles got to move down with the uh with the, uh um excuse me, the Dolphins got to move down with the uh, 49ers years ago. I believe it was, was it the Dolphins or the Eagles, whoever it was, whatever whichever team it was, Uh the fact that the, the 49ers gave up that enormous haul to go up and get Trey Lance, you have to figure somebody would do that for May. So there was a lot of benefit in that loss as far as I was concerned. But now you look at it and you wonder, because every time you think you have the Jets figured out, it's like Roddy Piper used to say, Every time you think you have the answers, I change the questions, right? Every time you think the Jets have straight up given up or whatever, then they come out and have this this type of performance. Like The week before that Washington game, they got absolutely hammered, right? Everybody was looking at the Zach Wilson performance against Houston and saying, all right, maybe there's something there. Maybe this team – and then the next week they got absolutely annihilated and you saw Zach Wilson actually get a concussion. And the Jets just looked so bad. And then this past week, they come out and they hammer Washington. They get out to a twenty-seven to seven lead before blowing it and almost losing the game. So I yeah. don't even know what to make of the Jets at this point, Jake. I don't know what you're going to see. I mean, my suspicion is on the road against Houston, Excuse me, on the road against the Browns with a really strong Browns defense against that bad Jets offensive line, with a Browns team that's pretty hot right now in front of a home crowd looking to. Try and secure a playoff spot. I would assume the Browns should be able to win this game, but then again, like I said, every time you think you have the answers, the Jets change the questions. So I don't know. Could this be one of those weird games where the Jet defense just gets piping hot and Flacco gets sacked a bunch of times or something? And we all know, you know, that the one thing with Flacco is you give him time and he can do some things. You don't give him time and it's going to be very ugly because he can't move. Uh, is this a game where the Jets make the Browns' running game look the way that everybody would have expected it to look earlier in the year? Or do the Jets surprise people and clamp down? I, I don't know. It's so weird. Like I said, if I were to predict, I'd say the Browns should win this one and it shouldn't be a big problem for them. But the Jets have been such a strange team all year that I, I don't even know what to make of it.
1: Yeah, man, going 30-6, to then losing 30 to nothing, and then, like you said, being up 27-7 and then nearly giving that game away before kicking a field goal to win. It's been a roller coaster situation there. Yeah. Ian, and, and I think that's pretty well articulated. Uh, there's, there's a lot to learn from this game about who the jets are, whether they still care uh, and, and what their future is going to look like. Obviously very talented on one side of the football Scott laid out for us really well, what they have to do to rectify the other side of the football uh, and what's in front of them. But, but I think this has a chance to be a low scoring sort of slug fest where, where two defenses are dominating and, the offenses are just trying to almost stay out of the way and do enough late to win. So uh it's it's a primetime game and on a short week late in the season, which is never bodes well for how guys are feeling and all of that. So be prepared for ugly. We'll see which team can uh, do the the least amount of ugly in this one, Scott, and and, and come away with a win, man. We we appreciate your insights. And I I, I imagine we'll still be connecting next year, no matter what the schedule holds. I I I feel like these two teams are going to keep finding each other one way or another. (laughs)
2: Yeah, man, it's a pleasure. Always enjoy talking football with you, Jake. You're one of my favorite people to do podcasts with, because in addition to being a, a hardcore fan, you're somebody that really knows football, but also isn't like arrogant or obnoxious about your football knowledge. Like I would put your football knowledge up there with just about anybody, but you're, People wouldn't know it just from talking to you because you carry yourself in a way that's not, like I said, not obnoxious and not arrogant when you obviously could because you really know your X's and O's and all that. So I appreciate you having me on. I always love having you on my show. And like you said, hopefully these two teams give us more excuses to do shows in the future.
1: Well, Scott, appreciate that, man. I I won't tell anybody I I slipped you a $10 bill to say that. (laughs) and uh, and, uh, We'll be catching up with you soon, man. So again, Scott Mason, we appreciate his time. We'll be right back, guys. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. Appreciate Scott giving us the insights. Like I said, big kickoff tonight. We'll be there. We'll be recording afterward if if everything goes according to plan, hopefully with being able to record sort of on the move. Keep you up to date with that, but hopefully have something for you night owls available if you want it, and then uh, something, obviously, for your early morning commute or wherever Friday morning takes you. Humongous game up in Cleveland, maybe the biggest one since the 99 return with folks that can be in the crowd, a night game, chance to clinch the playoffs. It's going to be huge. Tune in to everything OBR after the game. Check out this podcast. Obviously, we'll have plenty of written content as well. appreciate you guys making this uh, pod a part of your game day buildup. Huge, huge game in Cleveland. Can't wait for it, guys. We'll catch you afterward. Until then, go Browns.
0: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants.